when I come here, I get to see, you know, the amazing work uh, that God is doing through this church, how it continues to grow, how it continues to minister to the neighborhood. And so we are, we are uh, happy for that. We're glad for that. We are always praying for you. And uh, we're looking forward because we believe that uh, Crossbridge Brickell's days are, the best days are still ahead of it. Okay, uh, let me ask you a question as we, before we delve into the text here, uh, have you ever had a cultural shock? <laughs> you're, going to, you're going through it right now, right? Chances are that if you're not from Miami, this is where you're at right now, right? And most of you, I think, are not from Miami, therefore, you, you know what I'm talking about here. Now, I was raised between cultures, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable moving in and out of cultures. But, you know, I've never been at odds with a culture than the time that I went to Germany, to Berlin, all right? And I don't want to pick on any Germans here tonight if you are German or if you love Germany. Uh, there are people actually that watch our sermons from Germany. So I had to make that disclaimer this morning at Pinecrest as the, the sermon is broadcasted live. Uh, but, you know, I remember going there several years ago, maybe five years ago. Phil's about to go there. Where's Phil? I saw Phil here tonight. There's Phil. You're about to go there next week, right? Yeah, so he always, he's always there every year. Um, but, you know, I, I remember going there with, uh, with Jay. He's an elder from Pinecrest. And uh, we went up there for a Redeemer City to City meeting. And it was my first time in Berlin. And, you know, I love the city. I really do. Uh, I think that the city is beautiful and it's full of character. There's a lot of history, obviously, there. Uh, but, you know, obviously, a lot of the things about, you know, uh, being a German do not come natural to me. One of the things being I can't control my volume. Uh, I speak really loud because I'm Latin and Latin people. And Jay is also Latin. And so we're really loud. And I don't know if you've ever been to Cafe Versailles down here on 8th Street. You know, if you're from out of town and you walk in there, you think that fights are breaking out everywhere, right? And that's not true. That's how Latin people talk. And when we get excited, we get loud. And, you know, uh, I do that sometimes when I preach. So you're familiar with that. But I remember being in a cafe with Jay, right? And we were talking about something that was getting us really fired up and excited. It was ministry related. And, you know, while we were in the, in, the, in the apex of our conversation, we heard these two ladies, they were five feet away from us, shout, do you think that you are the only two people in this cafe? Right? So naturally, the inside voices that we instruct our kids to have at home, right, does not come naturally to us. And when I think about service, we're in this series of sermons we started a couple weeks ago. It's a series based on relationships. And and I was thinking about service in the context of relationship. You know, service is not something that comes naturally to us. It's not something that comes naturally to us men, right? Uh, I took advantage of the fact that 80 plus women were gone uh, this Sunday from Crossbridge at a women's retreat. And I went after the men at Pinecrest. Uh, I'm not going to do this to you guys tonight, but you know, I, I, you know, that's something that doesn't come naturally to me sometimes as a man. And I sense that, you know, my wife was going on this retreat with some of the women and helping to lead the retreat. And uh, I confess, I, I started to, to panic because, you know, I work on the weekends, right? <laughs> Sunday is sort of my big day. I, I need a relaxing weekend to go in there and, you know, and preach the sermons that I need to preach and, you know, do the meetings that I need to do. And uh, I told my wife, you're going to be gone all weekend? Can I just go with you, right? And she says, no, men are not allowed, except for Carter, apparently. Uh, He made it. (laughs) I don't know how he made it, I'm telling you. 
Uh, he's getting all things done here, all sorts of things done here that I was not able to do. But uh, anyhow, that being one of them. And, you know, and, and because it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to us specifically here in Miami. Uh, a year ago, there was an article that came out on the Sun Sentinel that talked about the rate of volunteerism here in the city of Miami. And uh, it's entitled, South Florida Ranked Worst for Volunteer Rate. <laughs> okay? And, and I'm, I'm going to read this, the first paragraph. It goes like this. Volunteer in South Florida, question mark, not a priority. The Tri-County area ranks last among 51 major metro areas for its volunteer rate, a new study shows. And it compares, you know, the rates between cities like Seattle and Miami. Seattle being a city where 37% of its citizens donate part of their time to meet needs around the community. And in Miami, the number is 13%. And actually, there's been an improvement, right? Because when I moved here eight years ago, the same study came out. And I always pay attention to those rates. But it came out um, uh, eight years ago, and it was at 11%. So there's been a little bit of growth. And it's partly the Crossbridge uh, in the city. Um, <laughs> I'd like to believe that that's, that's the case. Um, but we are not a people that naturally serve. Uh, Jesse said something very important this morning as he was pitching community groups uh, to our Pinecrest campus. He says, you know, there's two kinds of people here in Miami. There are those that come here to party and there's those who are here just barely trying to survive, right? And that's true. And when we're in these two worlds, we're not thinking about other people. Now, As we apply this topic of service into the context of relationships, I think this is a crucial, very important passage. Uh, It's a famous passage. We bring it out at least once a year on Maundy Thursday. Here at Crossbridge, we celebrate Maundy Thursday. Uh, It's that that, uh, Thursday before Easter uh, when Jesus um, celebrated uh, the Passover meal with the disciples. This is the account that was just read to us a little while ago. And I think that this is a very appropriate passage to address this whole issue of service. Because in this passage, uh, cultures are clashing. Here you have the culture of the disciples, which is, by the way, uh, our culture. You know, every time that you read the gospel accounts, right, and there's an interaction between Jesus and Pharisees. There's an interaction between Jesus and the disciples. Never see yourself as Jesus, because you're not Jesus. You're always on the disciples' side. You're always on the Pharisees' side, right? And so we have here the culture of the disciples in this uh, episode uh, prior to Jesus' passion. And then we have here Jesus' posture. You know, see, uh, service does not come natural to them as it doesn't come natural to us because of our curved human nature. We're all after our own interests. But it comes naturally to Jesus. And as Jesus' culture, the culture that he has come to, uh, to plant, the, the culture that Jesus has come to introduce, clashes with the, our culture and the disciples' culture. You know, the hope is that Jesus' culture will transform our culture and produce in us, right, people that really care about other people, right? So as we look into this passage here tonight, there are three things that I want to um, look with you at. Uh, and I've already sort of talked about it. First, I-, I want us to take a close look at the disciples' culture, being our culture, how we identify ourselves with them and how we're able to see ourselves in the disciples in this episode. Secondly, I want us to look at Jesus' culture and what it's calling us to. And then thirdly, what happens, right, when Jesus' culture transforms our culture? 
What does it produce in us? Okay, so first, the disciples' culture. Let me uh, give you some extra uh, background, some context to this passage. So this passage is John's account of what happened that night. But other gospel writers have their own accounts. They're, they're narrating the same account with, di- with a different angle, with a different perspective. And if you are familiar with Luke's account, which is in Luke chapter 22, and you can go there later and, and take a look at it and study it yourself. Um, you know, Luke says something very interesting about this meal. By the way, this is a very awkward, not a very conventional Passover meal. There's all sorts of odd things that happen during this meal, one of them being that the disciples uh, broke into a fight during the meal. And the reason why they broke into a fight uh, during this meal is because they were discussing amongst themselves who was the greatest amongst them, right? So just a few days before this takes place, if you will remember, right, uh, Jesus is hailed king as he rides through the gates of Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. The disciples were with Jesus, and, you know, the multitude came out and they, they laid out their cloaks on the way and palm branches and they hailed Jesus as king. And right around that period of time, before that and even after that, uh, the, 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 uh, the sort of coronation of the crowd of Jesus, Jesus is talking about his hour. He's constantly talking about this thing which he calls his hour. Now, when Jesus talks about his hour, the disciples are understanding something completely different that Jesus intends to communicate. See, the disciples had seen Jesus being hailed as king. They're they're thinking that his time is approaching, meaning that he will take control and he will overthrow the oppressors, the Romans, and he will establish the kingdom of God and sit on a throne in Jerusalem, right? Restore military power, restore their respect as a nation. And the disciples are, you know, sort of anticipating that. And they're thinking, now, when Jesus takes power, who's going to be at his right hand and who's going to be at his left hand? Who's going to have the best office with the best view, right? Who's going to hold the the, the important roles in Jesus's cabinet? And they're discussing among themselves. And the two brothers in Mark 10, uh, James and John are saying to Jesus, Jesus, can we be at your right hand and your left hand? You wouldn't want to trust Peter. Peter is, you know, emotionally unstable. And then the others are saying, you wouldn't want to trust Matthew. He's an ex-tax collector. He has a bad reputation. He's not good with money, right? They're fighting who is the greatest amongst them. And it's in this context that this meal, the Passover meal is celebrated. And that is why when they walk into that home, right, that has been prepared for them, for them to, to feast together, the Passover meal. Uh, and as they walk in and there's no one to greet them properly and to do something that was very important back in those days, which was to wash them, wash their feet. A servant was usually at, at a house to wash the guests' feet as they approached the table. Because remember, in Jewish culture, the table is something really sacred. And you don't want to approach the table in an unclean in an unclean manner. So you wash your hands and, you know, rabbinic uh, commentaries, they, they have these theories of how to properly wash your hands. So, you, you know, like they say that if you, if, you, if you dip your hand in water, don't raise your hands because then the water will start to, to, start to uh, come down your wrist. And by the time you, you put it down again, it will carry dirt back into your hands. So you, ridiculous, right? Because 
the table is a sacred place for them. It's, it's a sacred place for us. We, around the table, we build relationships. We like to be around people that we love and we care. But it was much bigger for them. And so to approach the table uh, dirty, especially with your feet dirty, right, was, was a huge offense. And so they walk in there, and there's, and there's no one to do that job. And the disciples are probably looking at each other, and they're saying, oh, okay, well, I guess we got to skip this part. <laughs> and, and, and they approach the table regardless. And they're sitting there, and we read in verse 2 that the meal had already begun, right? Had already taken place, and they had skipped that very important step. Now, now pause right there. You know, we tend to look at the disciples, and we tend to be judgmental towards them. But there are two things that I want you to understand. First, that they are a byproduct of their culture as we are. They, did, they lived in a culture, they are a byproduct of a culture that did not see humility and service as a virtue. They saw it as a weakness, right? And you would only serve someone that was above you. And since, you know, that was the tension in the apostolic community, right? No one wanted to serve the other, Okay? Now, and here's the other thing, too, that I want you to acknowledge. Had you and I been there, informed by our own culture, our own modern-day American culture, we would have acted the same way. And perhaps we would have said some things like, well, this is not my fault. Why should I take initiative? Right? We hear that all the time in our culture. Why? Because we live in an individualistic culture. That people are being preached at. You are being preached at on a daily basis. You ought to live for yourself. And if you think about it, the heroic stories of our culture are people that decided to live their own lives and pursue their own happiness regardless of what their community and their family thought of them. So if you go and, you, and you, you're pursuing your happiness and you have to... Uh, doing a, a, you know, a, a sex change operation. You do that, and then people around you are applauding you. Man, that's, that's really brave, right? That's our culture. It's an individualistic culture. You, know, I, you hear it all the time. I hear it at home. You hear it at work, right? I didn't create this mess. Why do I have to clean it? Dad, this is not my dirty plate. Why do I have to pick it up and take it to the sink, right? I hear that all the time. And on top of that, we live in a self-entitled culture. We are all self-entitled. We think that we deserve, we walk around with a sense of entitlement, that we deserve all the respect and all the accolades. And if someone doesn't compliment me for something that I've done, man, I want nothing to do with this person. And as a pastor, that's hard because, you know, when, when a bunch of people are serving, how do you expect to be complimented on an individual basis. There's a lot of people that get hurt because we don't come around and say, now it's our job to do that, but think about it. This is the culture that we have been forged in, right? We are self-entitled, that if I work hard, I expect to be compensated accordingly at least, right? And, and between couples, I said that this morning, you know, maybe uh, some of you are wanting to get married, some of you are already married, so I don't know how, how this applies, but you know, uh, we have this issue, especially in our church, that men that work hard all week to make money and all that for the family, when they get home, they feel that they're entitled to a couch and a bag of potato chips, right? Now, what Bible have you been reading, right? 
that if you work hard to provide for your family's needs, when you step into the door, you're entitled to a couch and a bag of potato chips and a beer maybe if you're Presbyterian. Okay? What tells you that you're entitled to anything in this life from God if you live a good life? Right? See, uh, Beth and I, we have three kids. The first time I uh, ever became a dad, actually two months before uh, we became parents, I sat down with Beth and I said, am I I in the light? Just let me ask you again. I'm in the light. Okay, good. So I I asked Beth and I said, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Let's plan this out. This is... You know, obviously the first time we're going to be parents. And, you know, obviously I shared with you before that I was reading a bunch of books and I was afraid of being a dad and all that. But it's just, you know, between us, let's set the, the, the you know, the, 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 the record straight. You know, let's, let's divide up the responsibilities. And I told her this, I'll help you with everything, with everything except change diapers. Except change diapers. And she says, really? She says, yes, yes. Look, I don't do diapers. Right, I'll do anything else. I'll wake up at night, pick up the baby so that you can feed the baby because I can't feed the baby. But I don't do diapers. And she looked at me and says, really? Well, I don't do husbands that do not do diapers. Okay? And I lost. And I've been changing diapers ever since. This weekend, I changed a lot of diapers as my wife uh, has been gone. But I, I, I've been thinking about, I thought about this afterwards. And I thought, you know, what told me? To tell her what informed me so that I can inform her that I don't do diapers. And I came to the conclusion it was the male chauvinistic Latin culture in which I had been raised. There was a part of me that was influenced by my culture. My heart was stained, right? My heart was stained by a cultural value that was present in me. That it needed to be cleansed by Jesus, right? And this is what Jesus is doing here with these disciples. There are parts of their hearts that are informed by their culture that need to be cleansed by him. And you know how God cleans us? Cleans these parts of us? You know how Jesus is challenging them and teaching them about the method that God uses to clean these parts of our hearts? By getting our hands dirty, in my case with poop. Isn't that amazing how God uses service to clean ourselves, to clean our hearts. And so, at that moment, the meal had already begun, verse 2. and verse 4, Jesus rises from supper. Amazing. This is an amazing statement in the story, in the narrative. He rose from supper. Says, man, I can't believe no one is taking initiative. I can't believe that no one sees the privilege in this. So he rose. Jesus rose from his place of honor. And now we're, now we're beginning to look into Jesus' culture. We've already moved to second point, right? Point two. Smooth transition. Jesus rises. And what does he do? Jesus' culture is here clearly depicted and portrayed right before us. He leaves his place of power, interrupts the meal. I mean, you wouldn't interrupt a meal in, the, in, a, in, a, in any home in, 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 the Jewish, in the Jewish culture, right? Jesus interrupts the meal. He changes. 
He takes out, he takes off his outer garments. He wraps a towel around his waist. You know who are the people that had towels wrapped around their waists? Slaves, servants. That's what Jesus does. And he proceeds to fill a basin with water without uttering one word. And he just kneels before the disciples and begins to wash their feet. Before I dive into this, I want you to understand this. Some of you are here because you're seeking God. I come across a lot of people. I've come a lot, across a lot of people throughout my 20 years of ministry that you know, say, Pastor, I'm coming to your church. I'm seeking God. I'm seeking God. I, I don't know if I, I can find him. I don't know if I have the potential to find him. And, you know, and they buy books and they go through all the religious motions. And, and you know why they can't find God? And you know why you're having a hard time finding God? Because you're looking for God in the abstract. You're looking for a transcendent God that has nothing to do with our reality. You're thinking of God way too out there when he is closer than you can believe and dare to imagine. He is down washing your feet. The creator God of the universe depicted in the Bible is on his knees. You just have to look down. That's where Jesus is. You know, and, you know, theologians will say that the movements here of Jesus in verse 4, right, is pointing to a greater reality. The one that, it, that Paul describes in Philippians 2, where Jesus uh, is in his glory in heaven, and he takes off his royal robe. He undresses himself, and he comes down, and he takes the form of a servant. Paul, when he writes Philippians 2, I believe he has this passage in mind when he writes that. And the reason why Jesus is doing that is not to shock them, which by the way, it's what's happening here, right? They are shocked. Why are they shocked? Because Jesus, in their mind, is their superior. Jesus, in their mind, is their master. Do you know that this was such a low task among among Jewish people that in some municipalities, right, in Palestine, not even slaves were allowed to do this. It was only the lowest class of slaves, right, that had this task of washing other people's feet. And what this is showing is that Jesus, right before their eyes, right, without uttering a word, is taking upon himself the, the form, not of a slave, but of someone lower than a slave. And is washing their feet. So he's not only doing that to shock them, which it's what's happening, like I said. But Jesus is doing that to introduce to them the culture that he wants them to live informed by. This culture is called the kingdom of God, okay? But that's the topic for another sermon. This is what it means to live life in the kingdom. It means to live life informed by the culture of Jesus, the culture of the gospel. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, in the teaching portion of this passage, Luke says, that Jesus approaches a disciple, and it's very similar to what Jesus says in Mark 10. He says, now, the, 
the, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over each other. That's their culture, to lord it over each other out there. There's no posture of service on them. And I understand that. I understand that you've been influenced and informed by that. But don't bring that, that stuff in here. It's so, it, Jesus says, it shall not be so amongst you. Those who want to be greaters amongst you should be the servant of all. As Jesus' challenge to them. That's, and that's frankly Jesus' challenge to us. To live life informed by the culture that he has brought. The culture of the gospel that's characterized by service. That stands not only in complete opposition to the culture of this world, but it's completely upside down. What's up here, it's down in Jesus' kingdom. What's down in Jesus' kingdom is up in the world. What's weakness, it's strength. What's power there, it's weakness that sin causes us, our desire to dominate others. It's weakness, it's a byproduct of sin. It's in complete opposition. Now, what would it look like? Here's the question for us tonight. What would it look like? What would it look like if we, influenced by Jesus' culture, took a posture of kneeling in all of our relationships? When it comes to friendship, the posture of kneeling. And the posture of kneeling in the context of friendship sometimes means being emotionally drained. You know that there are people that emotionally drain you? Man, there's some people in your life that drain you emotionally. There are some people I can't even take two minutes worth of a phone call, right? Because they drain you emotionally. What would it look like for you to have this posture of kneeling in the context of your friendship? Maybe it's emotionally draining. Maybe it's forgiving. You said something to them, they put you on blast, right? They betrayed your trust. Maybe it's forgiving. That's the posture of kneeling. Maybe it's meeting someone's physical needs. Maybe it's taking money out of your bank account and then giving it to them and buying something for them, paying their rent. Maybe it's like a couple, uh, uh, maybe it's like, uh, uh, you know, someone from Pinecrest that donated their kidney to a sister in Christ that has no family relationship with him. Maybe that's what it looks like. What does it look like in the context of marriage? Some of you are married, some of you are not married yet. What does it mean to take a posture of kneeling? For sure it doesn't mean come home and expect to sit down on a fluffy couch with a bag of chips in one hand and a beer in the other hand and right after, you know, chowing down that potato chips bag and, 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 and drinking that bottle of beer, playing video games all night long. That's not what it means. Okay, for sure. What would it look like? What does it look like for you? See, the reason why Jesus does these things, right, is so that he's able to teach so that you would be obedient. This has no, this means nothing. This will mean nothing to you. If all you think of this is like all beautiful and you don't obey it and you don't apply it, what does it look like in your context, in your relationships? Well, it leaves us obviously to the last part of our sermon, uh, when Jesus' culture transforms our culture, when Jesus' culture clashes with our culture and is able to transform us, what does it look like? Here's what I think it looks like. I think it's in this text. 
It means it looks like we get it. We get it. You know, most, most nominal Christians, people that come in and out of church that sit in our pews week in, week out, don't get it. And even the ones that get it tend to forget it. Okay? But here's what it looks like. When Jesus' culture transforms your culture, you get it. And I love the connection between verse 7 and verse 12. Because in verse 7, as Jesus is washing Peter, uh, or approaching Peter, um, you know, and Peter is all, 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 all weirded out. Jesus says this to him, what I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And in verse 12, Jesus asks him and the other disciples the question after washing their feet, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, obviously Jesus is patient with them. For sure, they don't fully understand what Jesus was doing to them, right? But I think that the, the disciples are beginning to get it. This is the moment that they're beginning to get it. They didn't fully get it because when Jesus is out praying later on at night, they're nowhere to be found. When Jesus is arrested, they all run, right? So they didn't really, really, really get it, but they're beginning to get it. And there's some that didn't get it at all, like Judas, who sold Jesus out for money. And that's the opposite of service. It's is, is, is when you look at someone and, and it, not only you say, I live for myself, but you say, your life for mine. You use people. In our culture, we, we, we are used to using people. And it's no longer a big deal, right? That if you meet someone, you say, well, I, I'll be with this guy. I mean, I can sleep with this guy because, you know, uh, he'll treat me nice. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some future there. I don't know. Uh, but it's a relationship to be entertaining. He's like, well, she has a nice body, right? So uh, we mutually agree and uh, we go at it. Uh, but at the end of the day, what really is happening is people are using people for their own sakes. But the culture that Jesus is wanting to plant, it's not my life, your life for my life, but it's my life for your life. You know, the people that get it, listen, the people that get it, the people that get the gospel are the people that understand. This is what Jesus is trying to teach them, trying to teach us. Are the people that understand that Jesus has paid them in advance an undeserving and an unimaginable amount, right? Everything you have received up front. Have you ever paid someone up front for their services? I haven't. Let me tell you, it's a bad idea. Last, last year, my wife and I and our, and our kids, we went on a sabbatical for three months. There were some projects that we wanted to get done around the house. One of them was to replace all our windows with hurricane impact windows. And we had three months to do that. I knew this guy. I like the guy, actually. I, I love the guy. I really do. And he's actually a good worker, but he's a mess. And he came, but, I, but I hired him, and he came to me, and he says, I'll, I'll do your job. In 30 days, I signed a contract with him. And he said, in 30 days... Done. I said, no, it's three months. You take your time. I know you're a busy guy. When I get back, I just want it done. He says, no problem. Let's sign a contract. It's 30 days. All right. Three days before we came back to Miami, we have cameras in our house. And you, I was looking at the cameras. And I was like, man, there's something wrong with this camera. The windows are still the same. Right? <laughs> and then a day before, I see him in in. in, in an, and his crew coming in the house and messing with the windows and all that. And I was like, okay, Beth, it's going to be ready. She's like, I, I want it to be ready. It has to be ready. And we get there and it's not ready. And he says, don't worry. 
I'll come back next week and I'll finish it. Still dust everywhere, you know, not fully sealed everything. A year later, it was still not ready. If you want hurricane impact windows, let me tell you this, all right? Come to me and I'll tell you who not to hire. And I told the guy this, I told him, say, look, I love you. If you come and knock on my door tomorrow and you need food for your kids and you need a car or whatever, I'll help you. But man, I will never refer you to anyone else and I'll never use you in any work ever in life. Is this right? Is this clear? Is this clear to you? Yeah, yeah, that's clear. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, fair. You know, and, and, and I remember, you know, seven, eight months into it, and I was, I was, I was angry. My wife was angry. It's like she would, she would open the sliding doors. Look at this. This person. And then she, you know, she was going on a rant for 30 minutes, and I was like, okay, okay. I mean, I, and then you're, you're, you're getting in, and you're calling the guy. And says, okay, I'm going to come next week. And they would never come, never come, never come. Until I realized this. Man, this is so frustrating. But you know what? This is what my relationship to God looks like. Exactly like that. He has paid all of it up front. And I'm withholding on his money and not delivering on his service, which is to serve others. That's me. And by the way, that's you too. And so I called the guy and said, man, let's finish this thing. You know, you don't need to come back anymore. Don't give me fake promises. That's just... And he gave me part of the money back and we solved the issue, right? And then I hired someone else. But I was at peace because I was reminded of the gospel that that's my relationship to God. Jesus has given me everything in advance and I'm failing to pay forward. You know, this week I came across this story. Maybe you've seen this story two years ago because it's two years old. And I'm sort of late sometimes on online stuff. Uh, but but I, I read this story this week that, you know, I said, man, this has everything to do with the passage. There's this couple that they go out on a date night and they have the worst possible service. It takes 20 minutes for the waiter to show up. It takes another 20 minutes for them to get their appetizers. It takes 50 minutes for them to get their meal. And as they're having their meal, and man, it's like, this is horrible. They're looking around, right? And they see one guy covering about 18 to 20 tables. Now, now pause right there. I hope the slide's not up yet. Um, so pause right there. You've been there before, haven't you? When the, when the check comes back to you with the amount and um, the little dotted line there, what have you written in there? I can tell you what I've done before. I said, I'm not doing 20. I'm not doing 15. I may do 10. Okay, and that's because... I feel really guilty if I don't at least do 10. But you know what this couple did? There's a picture of their receipt. You've probably seen it before. It's old, right? We've both been in your shoes, because they were waiters before, paying it forward, $100 tip. Now, this is even more like the gospel, because they did not des- that, that guy did not deserve $100, and he still got it. And this is what it looks like to be impacted by the gospel. Someone that understands that Jesus was so generous to them, undeservingly generous, that everything was paid up front. Man, they're sacrificially generous to others and to Jesus. They put their life on the line for Jesus, and they put their lives on the line for others as well. But the others who don't, it's not that they're worse. It's just that they don't get the gospel. And so my prayer for you Tonight 
is that the penny would drop, that you would get it. Because it's only when this happens that you understand that grace affords service. Let's pray.